everyone, welcome to episode 69 of The Music Room. This is Exceptional Learners with Bryson Tarbett. Before I dive into the interview, I wanted to let you know a little bit about Bryson Tarbett. Bryson Tarbett is a pre-K to sixth grade general music teacher just outside of Columbus, Ohio. He received his Bachelor's of Music and Music Education from Ohio Wesleyan University and is currently in the process of completing his Master's of Music and Music Education with a Kodai emphasis at Capital University. Bryson spent his first year out of college as part of an elementary school intervention team, and he fell in love with working with students with exceptional needs. Due to this experience, Bryson feels very strongly about advocating for sensory and emotionally inclusive classrooms. Bryson started That Music Teacher with the goal of sharing different perspectives on issues pertaining to the lives of music educators across the country. He also hosts That Music Podcast, a podcast for elementary music teachers. More information about Bryson and That Music Teacher can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. Bryson can also be found on Instagram and Facebook at That Music Teacher. I am so excited for you to listen to this episode to learn about how we better can meet the needs of exceptional learners. Here's the show. All right, I am so excited to be talking with Bryson Tarbett about students that are exceptional learners. Hi, Bryson, how are you doing? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is like one of those topics that I could talk about forever. So I'm really excited to be able to chat with you about it today. Awesome. I'm excited to hear it and I'm excited for my listeners to to hear what you have to say. But first, could you just tell us about yourself and your music educator journey? Yeah, so I, like a lot of us, have had a little bit of a winding journey. I started college thinking I was going to be the next great high school choir director and then quickly realized that that was not the life for me. I instantly fell in love with working with the little, little ones. I spent the majority of my time in college working at the lab preschool, uh, ended up falling in love with elementary music and kind of changed my trajectory in college. I actually ended up finishing my student teaching in October. So between that weird October time where I was done with school but like technically they hadn't deferred my degree I didn't have a Mm -hmm. license so I actually received uh, or got an aid license and worked full-time in different special education settings as an aide which at the time was a really big step and a really big step outside of my comfort zone but I truly believe that that is something that has really changed me as an educator and I'm sure we'll get into that um, a little bit later on but then I I went ahead and after that year I started teaching at a, a school district just outside of Columbus Ohio teaching pre-k through sixth grade general music between two schools and i've been teaching private lessons for about two years now uh, and about half of those private lessons are uh, currently adapted music so students who have disabilities in one way or another and then i also am the podcast host at that music podcast and where i help other music teachers regain their time and sanity so that they can be confident both in and outside of the music classrooms so it's a little bit of a journey but i wouldn't have had it any other way Yes. And I didn't realize that you had been aid in a classroom that I'm sure gives you a unique perspective. Yes, it totally added so much context that I didn't get in undergrad because it was so, you know, music education, obviously. And it it really changed my comfort level with working with students with disabilities and just students who needed, you know, different learning strategies and things like that because I was able to see things through a little bit of a different lens, which um, has really, really helped me out in my career. That's great. So how would you define exceptional learners? 
So this is one of those tricky things, because when we put a label on students, it can be really tricky to make sure that we're doing it in an authentic and like in a way that's not taking away their identity and in a way that's like listening to what they want. But altogether, when I use the word the term exceptional learners, it basically it's all of those students that, you know, might not typically fit the mold. So maybe students with disabilities, students that have experienced trauma, students who are gifted, students who students like that, where you really have to kind of think outside of the box or at least, you know, not necessarily following the you might not necessarily be following what you would normally teach in the normal way to all of your students, but basically it's that kind of catch-all for all those terms. Again, I want to kind of put a little point of when we're referring to students, it's really important to use their actual identity whenever we can. So most of the time, we're just going to refer to these students as our students or, you know, they're as their name. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously sometimes there are cases where being able to refer to a specific population kind of as a group can be helpful when having discussions about equity and things like that, which has been a definite journey of learning and unlearning over the last couple of years, especially as uh, my presence on social media has grown and I've had some conversations with people and honestly some of them have been kind of uncomfortable uh, for good reasons about kind of relearning some of the language that I've been using. So it's been a little bit of a journey there as well. Yes, I completely understand that. I have been part of a autism inclusivity group on Facebook and that was really eye-opening to hear about language and identity first versus disability first. And yeah, I think that so often we as educators are told, oh, well, you should do this. And then we realize that there are actually many more perspectives out there. And, you know, we do have to unlearn some things that we've been taught. For sure. Just recently, I've really been, you know, worked with with the idea of using the term disability or, you know, students with disability, because like you said, we've had for so long, we, we've heard, oh, well, you're going to use students with special needs or things like the other terms mm-hmm. that when we start having these conversations with students that do have disabilities, a lot of times those terms weren't were created by, weren't created by them. <laughs> it's a right. kind of a, a euphemism that they're like, we don't mind this. We want to be called this. Why are we changing this? So again, it's, it's been a lot of unlearning, but I think it's important for us to do as teachers is to listen to the individuals we serve as well as individuals in the community that are part of those populations and just to be authentic to what they want and and realize that sometimes it's not about us. For sure, for sure. So can you tell us about your journey teaching exceptional learners? And you talked about being an aide. So you could talk, of course, about that experience as well as once you started teaching music. So it's been it's been a wonderful journey. There's definitely been ups and downs. But so like I said, I spent the majority of my first year out of college. So pretty much from October all the way through the rest of the school year, I was working in a special education setting, working mostly with students with disabilities in the district that I student taught, which is awesome. And I did some you know, things in like a self-contained classroom. I did a long-term position in a classroom that was centered around students with autism. And it was really, really eye-opening to kind of get a little bit more perspective where I didn't really have it (laughs) coming Mm -hmm. after just finishing my degree in music education. And it was really cool to be able to to have that experience. And the the last position I actually did was the last quarter of the school year. I was a one-on-one aide for a student that had just received an IEP and they needed a one-on-one aide. And it was really cool because in that experience, I was able to learn a lot about sensory needs um, and a lot about trauma, you know, students with trauma. And that has really transitioned well into my current position where I have a lot, unfortunately, I have a lot of students that have experienced a lot of of unfortunate trauma. And, Mm. you know, and, and then part of the thing is, you know, as music teachers, when we're thinking about the sensory needs of our of our students, there's a lot of sensory input in our classroom. <laughs> you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of sounds. There's a, there's all kinds of stuff. So being able to have that experience working with these students 
students has really kind of opened my eyes into just like, hey, how can I make my classroom a classroom that everyone belongs in? How can I make a classroom that truly is for everyone? How can I remove barriers where there really don't need to be some to create a classroom that's inclusive in a variety of ways? And actually, I just finished my graduate research this summer on universal design theory in the music classroom. And it it, it baffles me because every time we come down to something, it's like, you know, well, th- you know, this this is a strategy that can be really helpful for students with disabilities, or this is a strategy that can be really helpful for students that are English language learners. And when you think about it, especially through the lens of universal design, it's, well, this is just good teaching. We're just right. removing, ba- we're just removing barriers that don't need to be there. And most of these strategies that we can implement in our classroom are strategies that are going to help all students. And that's where I think we can get really, we can really get stuck sometimes on, well, how can I make my classroom accessible for this population of students or this population of students? When instead we should really think about the barriers and just how can we make my classroom accessible for the students that I teach, the students that are in my school setting? How can I make sure that they're there? And then as that population changes, how can I change my classroom to continue to reflect the students that I serve? Which again, it's it's a lot of unlearning. It's a lot of looking at things through a critical lens. And sometimes it's a little bit of going against the status quo, but doing it in a way that's you're like, I know this is what my students need. This is what my students need to be successful. These are the barriers that I can remove. And this is something that I believe in. So I'm going to give it a shot. Even if it doesn't work, we're going to at least try to make some progress on it. Yes, those are all really great points. I think, yeah, so often like we as music teachers look at all of these different populations that we're teaching and we get a little overwhelmed with how to meet the needs of all the students. But I think there are some commonalities in all of the students that if we do these things, like you said, if we do good teaching, then it can help everybody. And I think it's important to realize that for better, to be completely honest, we are not set up for success in a lot of ways. When we're coming out of undergrad, we have, a lot of us have, you know, licensure from pre-K to 12th grade, music, general general Mm -hmm. music, orchestra, band, choir, everything. And there's just no way that we can fit everything you really truly need to know as an educator into four or even five years because you just can't. So what that comes to is for us as, as educators to realize that we're already starting on a deficit, whether we like it or not, and to seek out other opportunities to create more well us to be more well-rounded. But it also is important for our administration, our districts, our fine arts teams, or what, whatever they are, to also offer professional development that isn't just to check off a box. It's actually mm-hmm. these are what this is what our student our, our teachers need to help serve the students that we teach. And really think about it in a way of you know we aren't just music teachers. We might not be the majority of the district, but we see a lot of kids, right. and we we need to have systems in place to for us as music teachers to to go to our administration and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. How can we find resources, professional development, training? that will help me as an educator grow so that the, the end result is ideally that our students are going to be well better more, much more better represented and able to learn better in our classrooms for sure yeah definitely I think the professional development is huge if we're able to continue that because in my undergrad I had zero classes in anything to do with exceptional learners I like literally nothing and this was you know 
way back in the day, <laughs> but I'm sure that undergrad programs are a little bit better now, but we still, like you said, we don't get enough. I've had so many conversations that echo that echo my own similar experience, which is like our experience in undergrad is like, all right, make sure you differentiate. Make sure you differentiate. If you're teaching choir, make sure you differentiate. If you're teaching kindergarten, you better be differentiating. But what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> how, uh-huh. how do we do this? I know that we're supposed to be differentiating. We, we get the concept that, that that's right. an important thing to do. But what are the strategies? What are the ways that we can actually do that? Because when you get thrown in and you're teaching seven, eight, nine different preps a day, mm-hmm. and you have hundreds, if not more students that you're trying to differentiate for, that is so overwhelming. Yes. How can we differentiate when all we've heard is that word as if the word itself is the process and it's not. Mm-hmm. The word itself is just a title that we've given something that, again, is going back to the, just the, the foundations of good teaching. Right. But that's where I think that in, even in undergraduate settings, we need to work harder at actually explaining, going through processes of what that might mean. Yes, I totally agree. And this obviously could be a whole other podcast episode, but differentiation in general, like I've had so many conversations and I've heard so many like music teachers say, oh, well, we, we're already doing that. We're already doing that. And I always want to say, okay, but how, like specifically, how are we differentiating? And I know that we are, but I think when we really look at the specifics of what we're already doing and then are able to bring in more strategies instead of just saying, well, we're already doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost like people just, you know, throw their hands up in the air and they're like, oh, we're already doing that. Well, yes, we are, but what else can we do and how exactly are we already doing it? And there's a difference between there, there are multiple options for understanding in a classroom to that all students are able to learn in your classroom. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I, it's, it's overwhelming. (laughs) It's definitely something that you can't just do all at once. And we need resources and, and trainings to help us with that. But I mean, every year since I've started teaching, one of my professional goals for my evaluation has always been to increase differentiation. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I fully expect that to be one of the goals until I retire because because it's a process. You know, I, I'm getting better at differentiating, but like I said earlier, you know, our student population is changing constantly. Right. You know, every four year, every four or five years, you might have a completely different student population at your school. And being able to understand that each student is different and differentiation is not just a thing you do, but it's a thing you do for the group of students you have. Mm-hmm. That's where kind of like, again, I feel like differentiation is going to be one of my professional goals forever because it's just that important. Yeah. I completely agree. So we've already talked about some of the obstacles that music teachers face, like lack of professional development. But what are some other obstacles that music teachers face with teaching exceptional learners and really meeting the needs of those students? Oh, my goodness. Unfortunately, I've had a lot of conversations with with music teachers that are like, this is the last thing on my mind. I'm just trying to survive. And that breaks my heart because, again, Mm -hmm. it comes back to the idea that we're just kind of throwing music teachers out there and expecting them to do everything. And that's not good. (laughs) That's not good Mm -hmm. for retention. That's not good for teacher mental health. That's not good for our students. So I I think some of the biggest obstacles is, one, having music teachers really treated as professionals, where we we are are part of these conversations, whether it be, you know, part of IEP conversations or, or, you know, when we have students that are identified as gifted what do we do other than you know they might have a star next in our progress book or whatever you know sometimes we just kind of get we kind of go along for the ride because that's what we've been told to do Mm -hmm. by administration especially even like mpd days or something like that and 
I think the biggest obstacle for us is that we know we're supposed to do it, but we're just grasping at straws sometimes in so many different areas of our, our career, just trying to get by that for so many of us, it can be really easy to say, I'll get to it once I have a better a better footing where I am, or you know, maybe that'll be something I try next year. And unfortunately, that's, that's not something really we can really do in good conscience because our students deserve to be able to have a place where they can be successful in our classrooms. Yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah, we have a lot on our plates as, as music teachers, but it's it's good to keep that in mind that we really need to do this now and not wait. So what are your top three suggestions for teaching exceptional learners? How can we start on this journey of really meeting the needs of students? So this, <laughs> so many. <laughs> right? Yeah. My, the first one, especially when you're working with students with disabilities, you need that IEP. One, here in the United States at least, it is a legal requirement that you have access to that as a teacher because mm-hmm. we are required to follow any accommodations that are in that because an IEP is a legal document. And it baffles me with how often I see teachers not knowing that they have access or administration telling music teachers that they they don't have access to it or they don't need it. And the reality is there's a lot of information in an IEP that will have nothing to do with us as music teachers. But the parts that do are so important. Mm-hmm. Even things that aren't, you know, certain things like accommodations, like, hey, if this accommodation says the student is going to be have preferential seating, we need to follow that. But then there are going to be some things where if this student is struggling with tracking left to right, and that's one of their goals is to imp- kind of increase that. Well, that's going to be really important in the music room too. When we're talking mm-hmm. about reading, reading rhythms or reading notes, you know, tracking from left to right, that's one of those skills too. And that can be really helpful for us as teachers. So I guess the first suggestion would to be to make sure that you have that IEP, make sure that everyone involved in the process knows that you are not only allowed to see the IEP, but you need the IEP because you have to follow it, but also realize that you don't have to do it alone. You shouldn't do it alone. We as music teachers, we have so like you just like we've talked about, we have so much that we're doing. So if we're reinventing the wheel all the time, that's not going to be a good use of our time. So if you have a student, um, again, say we're talking about a student with a, student with a disability, we have their IEP, um, but we're still struggling on making sure that they're, they truly are, our instructions truly differentiated for that student. I would would reach out to the special ed, the special ed teacher, the, the intervention specialist, the occupational therapist, if they have that really any related services, and just say, hey, what what are your suggestions? I'm seeing this problem, or I, I'm seeing that them, these students struggle with this concept. What are your suggestions? You know, maybe there's some common language that they use outside of the music classroom that could be really easy to bring into the music classroom. And kind, of, not only does that help us gain information from outside of our kind of our music bubble, but it also shows the other stakeholders in our school that. We we are making an effort to make sure that our, our classroom is a place where all students can be successful so that maybe eventually those conversations will start coming to us. You're like, hey, this student's struggling with this this in, in the reading classroom. Have you Is there anything that you've done in music classroom that you can find helpful? Mm-hmm. And I think when we start thinking about education as like a system like that actually works together instead of so compartmentalized, that is when our students get better served. So I guess the first one, we get that IEP. The second one is don't do it alone. And the last one is a little bit more simplistic, which is treat them like just individual people and everything else will follow. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things that you had the best intentions that do not help the student, but don't let the fear of failure stop you from trying to help the student be successful in your classroom. Because like, like I tell my students, you know, if, if you try and fail, you have, you, there's a chance that you can be successful. But if you don't try, there is 0% chance that you are going to make any progress. So that's one of those things is, you know, just try it, see what happens and regroup and, and see what happens from there on. 
Those are all really great suggestions. I'd like to throw in there too. You talked about getting IEPs um, so that you can see what your students' needs are. The IEPs at a glance can be really helpful too. My youngest daughter is on an IEP. So I've seen that, you know, when you actually have like a, a full IEP, it can be like 50 pages long. And when you have lots of students on IEPs and they each have a 50 page IEP, that can be a little overwhelming. It's good to have that information. But if you also have the IEPs at a glance, then it can give you a quicker overview just to kind of see what those needs are. And then you could dig deep into the IEP as well. For sure. That at a glance can be super helpful and just like getting the ball rolling and seeing just kind of like the overall, basically, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's the at a glance of the mm-hmm. IEP. It's like this, are all these pages, we're going to condense it down to here. And this is like basically the Reader's Digest version of it. Right. Um, and then if you need more information, then you can dive in a little deeper. Yeah. And then like on the actual, I, the full IEP, it'll give you a lot more background, like, you know, about the child and what their likes are and that kind of thing. So that's really great to read as well. For sure. All right, so which resources would you recommend for music teachers who would like to improve their teaching of exceptional learners? Oh my goodness, there are so many good resources out there. One that I fell in love with as soon as it was released, it's called Creative Miracles, A Practitioner's Guide to Adaptive Music by Kelly Sorette. Really, really helpful. Lots of uh, actual, not just differentiate, but this is how you do this. Examples of how that works is, is a really good one. Uh, another one that I've used both in my academic research, but as well as in my classroom by Mary Adamek. It's called Music and Special Education. And there are all kinds of editions out there. Musictherapy.org. While we are not, most of us are not board certified music therapists, the American Music Therapy Association has a lot of good resources um, that can be helpful in understanding different disabilities and how they might benefit from music or how they might struggle with music uh, can be a good place to start. And then I also have a free guide for five ways to better serve students with disabilities in the music classroom. So if you want to grab that for free, you can head over to thatmusicteacher.com slash disabilities as well. Awesome. Most of those resources I haven't heard of. So I will make sure to put that in the show notes. So for those of you listening, if you go to my blog at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com slash podcast, and then find this episode, then I'll make sure to put all of those resources that Bryson just mentioned. Awesome. Anything else that you would like to mention about exceptional learners? I guess I just want to sum it up by reminding you that you're going to make mistakes. It's you're going to have days where you find you're like, I finally figured it out. I know exactly what I'm doing. I can't wait for this lesson. And then it happens and it fails miserably. And they, that is really defeating. But when that happens, I want you to remember that that effort you had is not in vain. We learned so much from what are the quote unquote failures in education. So just see what happens. Try it regroup if you need to and learn from your students themselves learn from their reactions don't just go by a diagnosis or don't just start with or don't just look at the IP and go to the bat look at the student enjoy you know be a part of the student's life because we aren't here to educate names on paper we're here to educate people in our classroom awesome thank you so much those are great suggestions well bryson where can we find you social media website anything like that yeah, so you can find me at That Music Teacher on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You can find me at my blog at thatmusicteacher.com, as well as my podcast episodes, wherever podcasts are found. Uh, it's called That Music Podcast. Um, and yeah, those are kind of the places that I hang out. Awesome. Well, would you like to talk about what we're consuming? <laughs> Yes, 
So I have been doing a lot of consuming <laughs> because uh-huh. I, I have to have something going on in the background, like as I'm doing any sort of work. So when it comes to like something a little bit educational, I am re, I guess, reading or re-listening to on Audible. Um, this is your brain on music by Daniel Levitin, which is just a really cool book mm-hmm. about the neuroscience of music. Um, I could geek out about that all day as well. But when it comes to just kind of like mind numbing TV in the background, I just finished the latest season of The Circle on Netflix, which is my guilty pleasure. It's a terrible reality (laughs) show that I can't stop watching. um, And you totally should watch it too. (laughs) Okay. I haven't heard of that one. I'm all about mind numbing reality TV. Sometimes you need that. (laughs) It's amazing. Well, okay. Speaking of just good, fun, guilty pleasure. Have you listened to, do you know Mr. D, first of all, like on TikTok? Yes. I saw him live a few months ago. Did you? I was living for it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Just a little shout out because he is a former Chippewa. Like he graduated from Central Michigan University, which is my alma mater. So like, I was pretty excited. Like, oh, it's this, you know, former Central Michigan alum that, you know, and he's really made a name for himself. And then I found out that he went to Eisenhower High School, which is a high school in the district I graduated from. And my good friend Brett is the band director there. So he was like, oh, yeah, Joe was in all of these musicals in high school. And he was so amazing. I'm like, oh, wow. And he was like, he's such a nice kid. So that was just kind of neat that like there was like oh, a background. Cool. Um, so anyway, I you know started watching him on TikTok and um, just loved him and then realized he had a podcast. So have you heard his podcast? Oh my goodness, yes. I'm obsessed. Oh my gosh. So it's, I think it's called Social Studies with Mr. D. Does that sound right? Yeah, it is. It's brilliant. <laughs> like, oh it's just gosh. so funny. I have been listening to it and like cracking up so much that like I have to turn it off because I have like tears running down my face and I'm like, okay, I got to focus on driving right now. <laughs> this <laughs> is so funny. Like he'll do a whole episode where like the one I just listened to, it was all about parent teacher conferences, but he has like his listeners write in with like their horror stories about parent teacher conferences or like another one I listened to was like horror stories about evaluations or another one was uh, horror stories about sending things to the wrong people. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It is so funny. So like for those people listening, if you like teacher humor, just like things that only teachers would understand, then you need to listen to this podcast. It is awesome that's so cool that you got to see him live yeah if you ever get the chance you y'all need to see it he is hilarious oh my gosh he's so funny yeah I would love to see him live well Bryson this was so much fun to talk to you and uh so helpful I know that my listeners will really benefit from all of your suggestions so thank you so much for coming on the show well I can talk about this forever so thank you for allowing me to come and chat with you on your podcast I really appreciate it yeah thank you bye see you Aline I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I'm grateful to Bryson for his wisdom. In our next podcast episode, I will be doing another interview, this one with Beth Duhan, about self-care for music teachers. Make sure that you've subscribed to The Music Room on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also now ask Alexa to play the podcast by saying her name and then play the podcast, The Music Room. I hope you enjoyed the show and have a great day.